Uh, John chapter 11, verse 28. You ready? John chapter 11, verse 28. This is a story of Lazarus. Have you heard of the story of Lazarus? And, uh, and uh, when he rose from the dead. Real story. This is in the Gospel of John, fourth, fourth, fourth book of the New Testament. It's the fourth Gospel. Uh, John wrote it. John walked with Jesus and, and uh, even lived with him for three and a half years. Um, uh, G- he was there when Jesus uh, took his last breath. Uh, young man, but he became older, like most people do. Except Benjamin Button. <laughs> he got younger, which was really weird. <laughs> okay. Um, anybody else confused by that movie? Okay. I'm just confused. <laughs> oh my goodness, that's so cute. Jesus hears in John chapter 11, uh, obviously not in John, but we find that in John chapter 11 that Jesus hears about one of his good friends, Lazarus, that died because he got really sick and died. And, uh, and so the word comes to Jesus. Jesus is like, dang, I got to go rescue him. And, um, and he does actually, uh, he actually did die. He wasn't just sick when Jesus showed up, but he was actually uh, dead. And uh, Jesus waited a couple days, actually, waited a couple days before he even went um, to Judea, which is where Lazarus was. He waited a couple days to prove that he was God, that he could raise people from the dead. And so he does that. He waits a couple full couple days. So when Jesus shows up, and as we read in here in this passage, as Jesus shows up, it's four days past. So it's been four days since this guy's been dead. And... Uh, the guy's stinking, uh, decomposing has set in, so he's starting to rot. Uh, the ointments and the oils and the fragrances and the things that they put on him um, to preserve his body and, and to, to make him smell better uh, was wearing off at this point, and his body was starting to rot. And uh, Jesus allowed this time to go on so that he could prove that he was really God and that he could raise people from the dead. True story. Oh, we're going to pick up here in verse 28 when Jesus kind of shows up at the place. Sound good? All right. When she had said these things, this is Martha and Jesus were talking and they had a conversation. You can read it. We don't have time to go into it tonight. But they were talking about the resurrection and such. And Jesus uh, Jesus and her were talking, and after she'd said these things, she went her way and secretly called Mary, her sister, saying, The teacher has come and is calling for you. As soon as she heard that, she rose quickly and came to him. Jesus had not yet come into the town, but was in the place where Martha met him. So Jesus is outside of the town where they actually were. And, um, and, and so Mary goes out there, meets Jesus. Then the Jews who were with her in the house and comforting her, when they saw that Mary rose up quickly and went out, followed her, saying, She is going to the tomb to weep there. Then when Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Therefore, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her weeping, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled. And he said, Where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. Verse 35, shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. Then, G- then the Jews said, See how he loved him. And some of them said, Could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind 
also have kept this man from dying? Okay, you have to understand the picture here. Uh, uh, Mary and Martha's brother just died. Lazarus just died. And in their culture, they actually had ministers who actually would come to your house and weep with you and mourn with you for seven days. They had a whole deal that was lined up for this. So for seven days, they'd come to your house, and they would just have people that in their church, but in their synagogues, ministers, uh, who were trained to weep with you. I don't understand what that really looked like. I mean, did they fake, cry, or did they really like have a gift of just crying? Did they do what they did in Pearl Harbor and throw something in their eyes to make them cry? Uh, I don't know what they did. Um, but apparently they, they were pretty good at weeping and mourning with people who were, who were having a tough time and grieving through a loss. And so the situation is this, that Mary and Martha are in their home, they're weeping, they're mourning, all these Jews, uh, uh, ministers and servants and priests and such uh, came uh, to uh, Mary and Martha and were weeping with them for a whole, it had already been four days at this point. So they'd been there for a while, and every time that they'd run out of the house and go weep, the, the, uh, the people would go with them, and the Jews would go with them and weep with them. And so they just, their job was to stay with them for seven days to weep with them. So you've got to get the picture. People are crying all over the place. Jesus shows up. He's crying uh, partly, partly because he really did love them, but also because uh, if he didn't cry with them, it was seen to be uh, offensive. If he didn't even cry with them when they were crying, to them it seemed offensive. But Jesus had other reasons of crying uh, because he was sad that they were sad, and he really did love Lazarus, but he's also sad that they didn't believe that he was going to be raised from the dead. Okay. You see the picture? Jesus is with these people. He's crying. He comes to the tomb. Then Jesus, again groaning in himself, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. In those days, they actually were in a cave, and they would dig a trench right in front of the cave, and they'd roll a round stone, uh, usually about yay wide, and they'd roll it right in front of the cave so that people couldn't get in and, and steal things, primarily body parts. That's weird. Um, who steals body parts. No, really, like in, in, in their culture, they actually did that so people wouldn't steal bodies. Sometimes bodies were worth or value to people just because, I don't really know why I'm telling you all this. Do any of you care about all this? Why don't we keep going? Okay, because I could keep going about culture for like 30 minutes, seriously. Um, but what they would do is that when they put somebody in a tomb for a whole year, they would keep that person in the tomb. At the end of that year, they would go into the tomb, pull the bones out, bring it into their house, put them in a box type of thing, and stick it inside like their crib, or under, sorry, their crib, underneath like cabinets, sorry. So like where you stick your cereal, they'd be putting their brother's bones. <laughs> um, kind of weird, but true. <clears throat> Um, so they would put them in there, or they'd put them outside or put them somewhere, but they would keep the bones. But the place uh, of the tomb was made or, or was, was created so that people's bodies could decompose and they could keep their bones. Nowadays, you just go to a graveyard and dig up somebody's body and you got bones. But back then, that's how they did it. I'm not trying to be uh, harsh about this. Okay, that could have sounded like that. Okay. Um, so there's a stone laying against it. This guy's been dead for how many days? Okay. About seven of you understand that it was four. Okay. Then Jesus said, take away the stone. So Jesus is standing there. And I don't even understand. <laughs> Move that bus. Move that stone. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I mean that's, that's exactly what happened. Is Jesus is sitting there and he's just like, Move away that stone. 
And everybody else is thinking to themselves, and we'll find here in a minute, Martha, the sister of him was de- uh, who was dead, so Martha, Lazarus' sister, said to him, Lord, by this time there's a stench, for he has been dead four days. She's like, my goodness, Jesus, by this time, this, my brother's stanking. Like, it's not just like, cool anymore like you can't just i mean maybe the day one you could roll away the stone and go in there and check him out and make sure he's you know doing good but by day four the process of the body be being decomposed like breaking down and and being nothing no more left you get what i'm saying uh, that process had already begun usually by the end of day three so she's like it's gonna stink man jesus ignores the woman the lady and in verse 40, it says, Jesus said to her, Did I not say to you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead man was lying. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. This, this, this amazes me because it never in here tells us when Lazarus comes alive. But it does say that I thank you that you have heard me. I wonder if... At some point, Jesus said or claimed somewhere, sometime in this place where, where he, he, he made Lazarus come alive. Um, but he says, Father, I think you have heard me, and I know that you, have always, you always hear me. But because of the people who are standing by, I said this, that they may believe that you sent me. So all these people are standing around. Jews are there. They're like, what's this guy going to do? He's like, move the stone away. Lord, thank you that you hear me. They're like, okay, what's the guy going to do? Is he going to run in there? Is he going to like do a crazy dance? What's he going to do? Now when he had said these things, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. He didn't say, Lazarus, come alive. He didn't say, Lazarus, wake up. He didn't say, Lazarus, arise from the dead. He said, Lazarus, come out of the tomb. Come out of the cave. Come out. And he who had died came out. Isn't that crazy? He came out. And he was bound hand and foot with grave clothes. We'll talk about that in a little bit. And his face was wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, all those who were standing around him, Loose him and let him go. John chapter 12 then six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus was, who had been dead, whom he had raised from the dead. This is the very next chapter, verse 1, now verse 2. There they made him a supper, and Martha served, but Lazarus was one of those who sat at the table with Jesus. That's amazing. Dude was dead. Four days later, Jesus shows up, says, uh-uh. Dude comes alive, take off his grave clothes. A few days later, he's chilling at the table, eating turkey with Jesus. First John, go to First John chapter 1. I don't know if they ate turkey. Actually, that's, that's not true. They didn't eat turkey. They believed it was wrong and bad for you. And I do too. Just kidding. The devil's a liar. Okay. You guys there? John, first John uh, verse 1. First John chapter 1, verse 5. Chapter 1, verse 5. Context, real quick. John, same writer who wrote the Gospel of John, is now writing to uh, Christians 
um, who were not allowed back in the synagogues. He's writing to Jews who became Christians who were not allowed to go back to the Jewish synagogues or the, you can call them temples, wherever that they would meet. They wouldn't let them back in there because they claimed Jesus to be Lord. So he's writing to them back. And in, that, in those groups of Christians, there were uh, liars and false teachers that were rising up and saying that you didn't have to, uh, or sorry, they were saying that, that, that it was impossible for them to sin, that they didn't sin anymore. And all these things were coming out and saying that you don't sin and, and uh, everything you do is perfectly fine and you're, uh, you're totally, everything is forgiven and so therefore you don't sin. So all these teachings came out that you couldn't sin and you're totally good. So John writes this, arguing against that and some other things that he writes in this book, but that was one of the main things that were happening. So when we, when we read this scripture, you have to understand the context that, that he was writing to people who didn't believe in sin. Like that's what, who he was writing to. So you ready? This is uh, 1 John 1, verse, uh, verse 5. It says, This is the message which we have heard from him. Him is Jesus. And we declare it to you that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him, Jesus, or God, and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Do you hear what he just said? If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we, lock in, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him, God, a liar. And his word is not in us. Chapter 2, verse 1. My little children, these things are right to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, because everybody knows we do, right? If anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and he himself is a propitiation, big words, talk about in a minute, for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the whole world. All in all, if you've sinned, Jesus got you covered. Jesus has got you covered. But the key word here is, if we say that we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar, and his word is not in us. We cannot say we have not sinned. We must understand we have sinned. Amen? Hope you're encouraged tonight. Already talking about sin. It's going to get dirty in here, just like Lazarus' tomb. Let's pray. Let's pray and ask God to speak to us and encourage us and challenge us. Amen? All right, mighty God, tonight we come before you and we thank you, Lord, that you have forgiven us, God, that you have redeemed us, God, that you have, received, you have saved us, Lord. God, you have called us into heaven with you for eternity. What does that even mean and what does that look like? God, that you would make us your children for all eternity and that we would be in heaven with you for all eternity, because of your love for us. God, for that, we are eternally grateful, and we love and we worship you. And God, as, we, as I speak tonight, Lord, I pray and I ask that, God, your people and our hearts, our hearts would be open to your goodness and to your faithfulness, God, and to your love. God, that we would come to know you more and more, and your mercies more and more, and your love more and more, God, that we would leave here encouraged and challenged to walk in the light, to learn to confess our sin, to live broken and transparent before you and one another. God, we love you, and we thank you, Lord, that you rose Lazarus from the dead, and you still raise people from the dead. We love and we worship you in Jesus' name. Amen.
Uh, when I was younger, I played uh, middle school football. Uh, I was, I, I'm skinny now, but I was skinnier then. I was very, very skinny, uh, short little, well, I wasn't short. I was probably like 5'9 or something, taller than most of you, but middle school. Uh, <laughs> he's five, I'll never be 5'9. Bless you. Let's bless you. Just kidding. Just kidding. It's okay if you'll never be fine. That's not, that's not important. There's people in the Bible who are like nine foot six and four foot five. You know, Jesus had to be four foot five at one point. You know? So don't feel bad if you're short. Everybody has different heights. But anyway, whatever. Okay, so I'm a, I'm a young, skinny dude and I'm playing football and I was quarterback. I was pissed at it's a piston I played. I got my, okay. Um, so I played, I played quarterback. I was, I was the quarterback. I was the starting quarterback. And um, one of the things that they would give you, especially in high school and college football, is they usually give a jersey to the quarterback, usually red or orange, to protect the quarterback because people like to hit quarterbacks. And that's especially the defense's favorite job. So during practice times, the coach didn't want you to hurt the, the, the starting quarterback. Like You don't hurt the starting quarterback. You don't do that. Well, that's what you think you don't do, but my teammates didn't understand that. They were they misunderstood, and so one time as I was standing after I'd thrown the ball and I was standing there, this dude, big guy, he was in junior high and he was six foot two. He's two hundred and twenty five pounds. Not even kidding. Big guy. His name was Corbin. Big. I was like Corbin. You know, it's like a like a Greek god or something, Corbin, you know, and I'm like standing there, and he just comes full speed, and hits me right in the back, right, right, right there, real low, and, and I fell to the ground, and um, I, I remember going, I remember in severe pain, I remember going, what is your problem, you know, and the coach like yelled at him, and you know, he got in trouble, and he had to run laps, and I just, I was wanting to laugh at him, but I couldn't, I was in so much pain, and and almost instantly, my stomach started hurting. Very quickly, my stomach started hurting. And I was like, well, whatever. And, and I was trying to act like I wasn't in pain, you know, like, I'm good, good. And, and, uh, and so that, that same night, that later that night, because after practice, we, had a, we went to a barbecue with the whole team. And we were doing this barbecue. And like, my back was getting worse. And my, I had this horrible stomach cramp right in this area. And I hadn't experienced this before. I was like, what's going on? Like, this is hurting, and my back was hurting, but I didn't want to act like a little pansy because I was a football player. I was a quarterback. I was a strong one. You know, I, I don't want to act like I'm, like I'm hurt. I, I, I want them to know I'm strong, you know, and so I was just denying it and acting like, you know, nothing happened, and I'd be kind of like walking like this. So then I, I realized if I just sat in a bench that nobody would know that I was hurt, so I just sat there, and pain kept, continued to increase and increase, but I didn't want anybody to know. Well, Finally, my ride came. I got in the, uh, the, the car, and, and at, that mo- at that point, it had been about two or three hours. At that point, I, mean, I was excruciating pain. I started breaking out uh, in, a, in a fever. Now, I'm telling you, this happened very, very quick. I, had a, I started getting a fever. And I'm like, okay. And no, I wasn't dealing with like, all this fear or anything. I mean, I just broke out in this, this fever. And, uh, and I'm in the car, and I'm, I'm kind of hunched over a little bit, and the, the lady that's driving me, and she's like, are you okay? And I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm okay, I'm okay. You know, I think I just ate a burger or something. 
it's getting inside there and 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 she's like yeah you're is your back okay i heard that you you know i'm like yeah 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 no i'm i'm good i'm good and so by the time i got to the house which was 25 minutes away i got to the house and i get out of my, i get out of the car and at that point i mean it's getting so bad i can i can hardly even even walk into my house but i do i get inside my house eighth grade right and and i'm feeling hot i'm taking off because i still have some of my football gear on. i take off football gear i go downstairs i go into my my uh into this game room that we had in our house and I get on the ground and I'm just sitting there in severe pain. My heart's throbbing and pounding. My stomach is aching even worse. Um, and I'm just sitting there thinking, I don't want anybody to know how much pain I'm in because I, I, I want to be, I don't I want people to know that I'm, I'm weak. Like, I don't want to show any sign of weakness. That's kind of what I'm thinking. You know, you understand what I'm saying? Well, what I do not know is that I have an appendicitis. How many know what an appendicitis is? Okay, it's it's simply in your your in your appendix, uh, which is a, a route right here from your hip bone, three inches inside, but right there you have your appendix. You can look it up what that what your appendix is for. But anyway, um, what happens with an appendicitis is you get a staph infection, which is a type of bacteria or type of disease or sickness, whatever that gets inside of your appendix, and what happens your appendix shuts off and starts inflaming. And at any moment, your appendix can explode and poison your body, and you can die. Some people have survived from your appendix exploding, um, but most people that actually their appendix explodes die. I have two family members that died from it. And I didn't know this. I had no idea this was happening. What I didn't know was that when that guy hit me in the back, my vertebrae went out of place, shut my appendix off. My appendix began to uh, swell. This was why I had a fever, and I was in severe pain. I could hardly move. My brothers, at this point... I get home. I've been home for an hour. They hadn't seen me. My little brother was kind of running down the stairs, and they were going to play the video games in this room. And so they come in. They see me on the ground, and, and they, they, they said I was looking like I was passing out. And they're like, what? Are you okay? You know? And, and I'm like, and I, at that point, I started crying. I just started crying. I said, I'm not. I'm in severe pain. I know what the deal is. And, and uh, <laughs> so they're like, oh, I'm going to get the phone. And so they ran up to the phone. I don't remember why, but I remember crawling across the floor. <laughs> like, I'm like on all fours. Like, no, I wasn't even on all fours. I was on my belly crawling. I don't know. I had to go get something. I can't remember what it was, but I called my dad. My dad's a, a chiropractor. He's a doctor, and, and uh, he's actually dealt with this many times before. And anyway, if you want to know more about that, you can ask me on the service. We don't have time. But, um, and so my, I, I get on the phone with my dad. My dad says, hey, what's going on? I, and I'm, I'm crying. I'm like, dad, I don't know. I'm in severe pain. He says, check your temperature. I checked my temperature. I was 104.9. They say your brain cells start frying at 104.0, 104.5. And usually, no, seriously, like, I'm serious right now. Like you get too hot and things, that your brain starts decomposing, really. It starts dying. And, uh, and, and usually you'll die at like 105 or any time beyond that. Um, if you're at 104.5 for long enough, you'll, you'll die. You'll eventually die. And so I am, I am, I tell my dad, he's like, oh, my gosh, well, he's still in Anchorage. And so I said, do you want me to go to the hospital? He said, well, what I need you to do, I need you to stay there, and I need you to, do, to start taking these vitamins that I needed to take to kill the staph infection in my appendix. So I start taking it. He's an hour away, and I'm thinking, because he didn't tell me what I had, because I knew he knew what I had, and I'm thinking I'm going to die. So my dad gets home. I'm crying. I'm like, Dad, I'm gonna, am I going to die? You know? <laughs> And he says, no, you're not going to die. But he stayed up with me all night long, and he worked with me. And, and he continued to adjust my back and put my back into place. And anyway, long story. 
and, and what that even looked like. Yeah, it did. But I eventually got better. I didn't have to take my appendix out. My dad actually fixed it. Praise God. I didn't die that night. Wouldn't be here. Um, so, many of us allow things in our life to continue to go on and on and on. And if we don't seek out help, we're eventually going to die. And maybe not physically die. But we're eventually just going to break down and, and crawl on a ball. Or we're eventually going to break down and we're going to run away from God. Or we're eventually going to break down and get to a point in our life where we just go, man, I don't think there's any God. I don't think this is even real. I, I'm, I'm done for. And until we come to a place where we can confess or talk to people and specifically to God about the sin in our life, the sins that are unconfessed and are not talked about will destroy you. They'll destroy you. The sins that are unconfessed and not talked about will actually rob your peace. They will rob joy from you. They will even make you, they can make you physically sick. They can make you feel like God doesn't love you. And they begin to actually lie to you and tell you things that aren't even true. When your sin is unconfessed. It's not even a word, but I just made it up. But when we come to the light, when we come out in the open, we get to experience the fruit of forgiveness. When you come out into the open and when you choose to confess that heavy burden that you've been feeling for days, sometimes weeks, sometimes months, sometimes years, when you come out in the open, you confess that at that moment, your guilt, your shame, your fear is washed away. But until you choose to come out into the open and get out of the closet, as people, some people will say, he came out of the closet. Until you choose to come out, you will, you will suffer. You won't worship the same. You won't pray the same. You won't read your Bible the same. You won't have confidence. You won't have boldness. You won't be courageous because you're stuck in your shame and in your guilt. There's some people that live their whole life and don't tell anybody or especially confess to God what they're, where they are really at. And it only rots and destroys them. We have to stop sitting in our shame and in our guilt. We have to stop sitting in our unconfessed sin. And until we do, we're just going to struggle and we're going we're gonna to hide and we're going to be afraid and we're not going to know God's love. We're not going to know God's mercy. We're not going to know God's peace. We're not going to know God's joy. We must make that decision to be bold enough to be able to tell somebody the sin or the struggle that I struggle with. We find this story in the book of John about Lazarus who rose from the dead. It is a true story, but there's also some metaphors here. 
So it looks like this. Lazarus dies. Four days, later, four days later, Jesus shows up. He comes to Judea. Jesus comes and he raises him from the dead. He did something at some point. He rose him from the dead. I don't know when it was. I don't know how it was. Maybe it was exactly when he said, Lazarus, come forth. Maybe when he said, Lazarus, he came alive. I don't know when it was. But at some point in there, Lazarus came alive. Jesus was risen from the dead. Then Jesus called him out of the cave. So he comes alive because it would not make any sense for Jesus to call Lazarus out of the tomb if he was dead. Would that make any sense? That would make any sense. So what happened at some point, Lazarus, who was dead, came alive. He started breathing. But he had his grave clothes on still. And so he comes alive. Then Jesus calls him out. And then he tells the people there, well, first, after he called them out, then he had to make the decision. Okay, I'm stepping out of this place. And then the people that were standing around, Jesus told them to take the grave clothes off. A couple of days later, he's chilling with Jesus, eating turkey. Okay, you get in the picture? But he had to make a decision. Lazarus, who came alive, had to make a decision to come out of that tomb. He had to make a decision to come out of that cave and come into the light. And if he didn't make that decision, he would have stayed in that cave. He would have been alive, but he would have stayed in that cave. So you got to understand something else too. Is that grave clothes, as some people may call it, were simply cloth that people would take when you died and they would wrap you. Usually women would do it to men and women. Guys could only do it to other guys. Now don't ask me why, but that's what it was. So probably the women, his, his sisters, were probably the ones that wrapped Lazarus. And so what they would do is they would take cloth and they would wrap you. They'd put your legs together and they'd put your hands to your side. And when it says he was, he was wrapped from uh, hand and foot, that doesn't mean he was wrapped at his feet and wrapped at his hands. That doesn't mean that. It means he was wrapped from head to toe. He was wrapped all the way through. He was wrapped together. But they were potentially, or particularly wanting to wrap his ankles together and wrap his, his, his wrist to his side, each wrist to his side, so he was in a perfect position. Or to here. Whatever way it was, they would wrap him to where the bones were in a good position so that a year from now they weren't broken and scattered and laying all over the floor because of the squirrels or whatever came in there and ate the thing, okay? No, no squirrels came in. But gerbils did. Gerbils came in. So what they would do, these women, they took, so at this point, Lazarus was completely wrapped. He was probably like this or he was probably, but so somehow he stood up. Now, you or I, have you guys ever experienced those times where you're, you're sitting around the living room and you're watching a movie and it's cold in the house like it is right now and you're in a sleeping bag and you're zipped up and you're in the, you're, you're, you're in the Snuggie? No, you're in a sleeping bag and you're zipped up and you see the previews on and you're like, oh, dude, I got to go get a glass of water. So you jump up, but you don't want to take your sleeping bag off. So you hop across the hall, you know, you hop from the, from the living room all the way to the kitchen to get your water, you know, and you hop all the way back. And you, I did it. I don't know about you guys, but I've been there. And you get back and you lay down and you're like, oh, that was so awesome. I stayed warm and I got my water. Sometimes you tripped on the way, crushed your dog as you're walking there, destroyed little infants as they crawled by you know, but we've all been there. Well, could you imagine being wrapped from head to toe and his face was covered too? 
So the dude wasn't just wrapped at his ankles and his hands. He's just like, oh. But the dude was wrapped, like tight wrapped. And Jesus, knowing that, didn't tell the people that were standing by, hey, go inside the tomb and unwrap him so he can come out. He didn't say that. What he does say is, hey, Lazarus, come out. And as Lazarus comes out, then Jesus says, okay, now take off his stuff so he can go. I think it's fascinating to me that Jesus didn't tell him, that the guys, to go in there first and unwrap him. But Jesus, knowing that the dude was wrapped, Lazarus was wrapped up, still called him out. I think there's a picture there. I do believe that Lazarus, if he really wanted to, could have stayed inside that little cave. Because God asked him, Jesus asked him to come forth. And it wasn't until he came forth, it wasn't until he came out that he was loosed, that he was unbound. We have to realize that, first of all, it was Jesus that rose us from the dead. The Bible says that you were spiritually dead in your sin. Lazarus didn't wake himself up and call out to Jesus and say, Hey, Jesus, would you save me? But actually, he had been dead not only for a little bit, he didn't just breathe his last breath. Well, the Bible teaches us that he was dead for four days. True story. The Bible also tells us that we were spiritually dead and that God at one point in our life sought us out and saved us. He sought us out, saw our cave, rolled it the stone away, or had somebody else do it, but apparently in our life, He's the one that rolled that stone away and he rose us from the dead. He caused our hearts to come alive. He caused our hearts to have faith. You tonight, if you believe in Jesus or you confess him as Lord, you didn't come to that by your own efforts or by your own understanding or by your own wisdom. It's because God gave that wisdom to you. 2 Corinthians 4, 2 Corinthians 4 verse 6 says this, For God who said, Let there be light, in the darkness, has made this light shine in our hearts so we could know the glory of God that is in the face of Jesus Christ. Right here, the Bible is teaching us that our hearts were dark and God shone light into our hearts that we would have the knowledge, the understanding of Jesus Christ to be saved. That's what it's teaching us. At one point, our hearts were dark. You guys ever read Genesis chapter 1? The Bible says that darkness covered the face of the earth. You know, the whole talks about how everything was dark. It's the same word picture. Our hearts were just like that. Dark, lost, dead. And God sought us out. He sought you out individually. Megan, Holland, you, you, you've experienced this firsthand. You experienced a place where you were completely dead. And God shone in your heart light and gave you the understanding of who Christ is. And because of that, and only because of that, you have faith in Christ. And there's many of us who who here, I hope all of us, have experienced that. If you're a believer, you have experienced that. You must understand that God has saved you and called you out so that you could live with him and fellowship with him and peace with him and harmony with him and unity with him 
You hear what I'm saying? He has called you out. He has saved you and rose you, risen you from death, given you spiritual life that you had not in your own ability or in your own understanding. We also have to understand that you have to make the decision to respond to that. You also have to understand, just like Lazarus, you have to make that decision to come out of that cave. And until you come out of the cave or until you come out of that life of apathy, that life of slumber and laziness, that life of just sitting back and hiding in your sin and in your shame, if you don't choose to step out of that and into the light, you're going to stick bound up in darkness. As it says in 1 John 1, we just read it. This is the message translation. It says it like this. If we claim that we experience a shared life with him, Jesus, if we claim that we have a relationship with Jesus, if we claim to be a believer, but we continue to stumble around in the dark, we're obviously lying through our teeth. We're not living what we claim. But if we walk in the light, God himself being the light, We also experience a shared life with one another as the sacrificed blood of Jesus, God's Son, purges us and cleanses us of all of our sin. I like how it says it. It says, "If if if we say we have a shared life with him and continue to stumble around in the dark, we're lying through our teeth. We're lying through our teeth. We have to come to a place in our hearts and in our lives and in a decision we have to make where we confess, we come to the light, we come out into the open and we confess our sins before God knowing that God will forgive us. Knowing that God will cleanse our consciences. Knowing that God will restore our hearts. Bless you. That was amazing. Lazarus had to have some knowledge or understanding that when he came out of that tomb, when he came out of that cave, that somebody was going to help him take those things off because he had no ability to take those off. All he could do was come into the light. He didn't have the ability to wash those things off of him. All he could do was come out of the cave. And it was at the point that he came out of the cave that those grave clothes that cloth that bound him was able to come out, come off, and come off of him and cleanse him and wash him. And he obviously wasn't rotten because he was sitting with Jesus and he wasn't stinking a few days later. God did a miraculous work. He didn't leave him in his sin. He didn't leave him in that he completely washed him and cleansed him. Most of us have a fear that, first of all, if we confess or if we tell people or if we tell God about our sin, or we don't want to come to God because if we do come to God, we're afraid that he's going to punish us for our sin. But that's, that's nonsense. That's like saying if I go to the doctor and I tell the doctor I'm sick, he's going to be upset with me. That's like me calling my dad and saying, Dad, are you going to be upset with me that I have an appendicitis? <laughs> or, Dad, I... 
or just going to the hospital, my appendix explodes because I was afraid that my dad was going to be mad at me that I was sick. Does that make any sense? I don't, I don't want, I don't want, I don't, I don't want to hide my sin. And until we take that step, until we take that step where we choose to walk out of darkness, we choose to step out of darkness. Darkness simply means hidden sin. Darkness simply means hiding your darkness. It, there's not this unveiling. There's not this uncovering. There's, you're still in darkness. You're still hidden. And if you don't take that time that, and you don't make that decision to come out and say, I'm struggling with this. I'm dealing with this. Maybe it's not some huge, grotesque sin that people list off. Maybe you're just struggling severely with jealousy. Which, as I know right now, I just sense right now, there's so many of us in this room that struggle with jealousy. And the only reason why you struggle with jealousy is because you're, you're very insecure and you're not allowing God to wash you and cleanse you of your sin. You're not allowing God to make you his son or his daughter. You're not allowing God to give you the understanding that you are his son. You are his daughter. See, the truth is, you are already saved. You're already called of God. You've already been born again, but you've got to choose to confess your sin and repent of your sin. And not just one time. Gary, I've already done that. Did it. But not just one time, but every day when you find something, that you confess it to God and you confess it to people, to those whom you can trust. Maybe it's jealousy. Maybe it's competition. Maybe it's sexual immorality. But I've already told people about that. I always tell them about that. Well, then continue to. And if you don't, you're stumbling in darkness. Maybe, maybe your struggle is unbelief and you don't really know if you believe in God anymore and you're afraid to tell somebody because you tell somebody they're going to think less of you. Are you going to stumble around in darkness or are you going to come into the light? Maybe you're being rebellious toward your parents. Maybe you've got a really bad habit of going on the internet and looking at things you shouldn't look at. Like pornography. Or maybe you have a problem where you're addicted to some sort of substance but you don't want anybody to know. This isn't one of those fun messages. It usually isn't one of those messages where you leave here or you, you're sitting in your seat and you feel like, man, I'm so excited right now. It's usually one of those messages where you have to look at your heart and ask your heart, yourself a question. Am I hiding things? You know, many of you right now, as I have been speaking, many of you right now in this moment can, can think of things that are not confessed to God and are not confessed to man. And then there's some of you also who say, no, I think everything is confessed. And those of you who feel that way, I believe that God wants to reveal something to you that you don't even know about tonight and show you something in your life that you can continue to bring to him and say, God, I'm asking that you'd cleanse me of this and you'd heal me of this and you'd forgive me of this. You have to understand that just because you feel guilty and shameful doesn't mean that you're not a child of God.
but rather if you do feel that shame, or you do feel that guilt, and you do feel that conviction, it's because you are a child of God. And God is just wanting you to confess your sin so he can wash you of your guilt, of your shame, of your condemnation that you deal with, of your fear of coming to God or worshiping him. We're not, we're not going to reap the benefits. We're not going to reap the fruit of forgiveness. You know what the fruit of forgiveness is? The fruit of forgiveness is no shame. The fruit of forgiveness is joy. The fruit of forgiveness is peace. The fruit of forgiveness is love toward God and toward people. You don't get to experience the peace of God and the joy of the Lord. You don't get to experience those things if you don't first come out into the open and confess your sin and allow God to wash you and cleanse you and restore you. And there's many of us who are, maybe, maybe some of your life is exposed, but maybe, maybe your foot is still in the cave. But it's still a foot. It's still something that you're hiding, that you're, that you're, keeping, you're keeping hidden. Worship team, can we have you come up back up here, please? We're going to take time to respond to this. We're going to take time to respond, not to me, but to God. Because I do know that there are some of us in here who feel heavy tonight. There's some of us in here who feel and know that they do have that. They do have that unconfessed sin. They have that unconfessed thing that they haven't told anybody about or they've told somebody about before but they're struggling with it again. They're afraid that they tell somebody again or if they confess it to God that somebody's going to think less of them or that God might not receive them. And maybe, maybe for some of us it's not a matter of really confessing. Maybe you have a problem with, you, don't, you have a hard time worshiping God because you just don't have any love for Him or heart toward Him. And maybe the problem with you is not that God doesn't love you, but that you don't understand that you're already His child, you're already His daughter. He already does love you and He's made you His son or He's made you His daughter. But you just haven't confessed your sin or confessed your struggle and allowed God to wash you and cleanse you of the shame and guilt so you can worship Him with confidence and no fear and no shame. Would you stand with me?